It is CMS Music with Chris Aiken, and I, of course, am Chris Aiken. And joining me today is a true legend, and I mean a legend on the guitar. He has a brand new release called Inviolate, uh, and uh, he puts the Vi in Inviolate, of course. He is Mr. Steve Vi. Steve, how are you, sir? All right, doing good, Chris. Thanks for having me, brother. Absolutely, man. Well, Steve, um, you have this great new release, and um, you have innovated the guitar once again with a new crazy guitar that we'll talk about and um and some really interesting things on the new release in violet so talk a little bit about this one because it really seems like you pushed yourself not that you don't always push yourself but it seems like you really pushed yourself into some new directions this time well i think uh, the directions i went were kind of natural for my course okay. you know if if what if you if you do something through life and you kind of stick with it and you're interested in evolving it, uh, it it just happens naturally. So, I think uh, you know on Inviolate, you know it's been many years of being out there and doing it. And every time an artist releases a record, it's it's usually uh, you know they, they like to feel that it's the best that they've done so far. So. Sure. I'm in that club. <laughs> Certainly. Well, when, when you decide to write it, I mean, you, you have such a history that I, I, I'm assuming you can kind of pick and choose when you decide to put music out. Now, you're not on like a record company schedule or something. Do you decide to write because you have a new sound or a new something that you want to present? Or do you do it because you're a professional musician and you feel like it's time or a little bit of both? Or how do you make the decision when it's time to put new music together? Well, different musicians will navigate through their career in releasing records and touring differently. The, the, the conventional way to do it is you get a record contract and the record contract says, on this day, you will deliver this record. And on this day, which is usually 18 months later or something like that, you will deliver another record. So there's, there's parameters within a deal that can dictate when an artist needs to deliver a record. And that usually... Uh, will um, dictate the touring cycles and stuff like that. But I've never really adhered to that for the most part mm -hmm. because um, I never felt, you know, I was that kid that would wake up in the morning to go to school. My father would come in the room and he'd wake me up and I would just not get out of bed. He'd come in a second time, right? He'd sure. wake me up again. I wouldn't get out of bed. He'd come in a third time and grab my foot and drag me off the bed until I was laying on the floor. And right. then he'd leave the room and I'd get back into bed. And then he would come in and dump water on me. <laughs> because, and, and I swore, I would never have a job where somebody was going to tell me when I should wake up in the morning. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> right. So the same, I guess, the same thing. And now I get up at 5.30 every morning. I love it. <laughs> but, uh, but the same thing, I think, just flowed into my creative mode i i don't think that you can for some people you can say be creative now you know but for me it was always like i i i, I want to do this now you know that now i want to record this song now i want to make this record now i want to write this book now i want to make this record company now i want to you know so it i never really adhered to those contractual obligations sure <laughs> no, and the labels don't care, you know. I mean, for me at least, because that—that's my deal, basically. Basically, and plus, it's—it's uh, it's rare that I'm signed to a label. I, I'm, I've always been pretty independent. 
Sure. When you, when you do start creating, let me rephrase this. I know a million musicians that they never put down their phone, their computer, whatever, that are always creating. They're always recording riffs. They're always keeping ideas together. Are you one of those guys or are you somebody that literally sits down and decides, okay, this is the time that I'm going to put together eight, nine, 10 songs to release to the public? Yeah, I do that. Oh, okay. <laughs> so now I'm going to make a record that maybe, you know, the, the amount of songs uh, varies. I just know that these days I don't want to really go over 45 minutes, 46 sure. minutes. It's too much for people. But uh, yeah, and I'm, and I'm, I think that what uh, you're, you're questioning is, do I reserve my creative time for when I choose to make a record? Correct. Yeah, no. No, I, I, I am, I enjoy being constantly creative, you know, and if it's not in a, in a song, it's, it's, in, maybe it's in a composition, maybe it's in an investment. Cause I, you know, there's that part of our lives that we got to deal with, you know? And uh, so I'm always trying musically. I'm, I'm always not, not always, but a lot of the time I'm imagining. Okay. Certainly. And when I'm not, I'm, I'm actually trying to play what I was imagining. Right. <laughs> no question. Well, Steve, um, talking a little bit of Inviolate, um, the biggest, I guess, probably the biggest piece of this record that people aren't going to see is the fact that you had some injuries, some legitimate injuries to overcome in order to to get to putting this material together. So talk a little bit about your shoulder and your finger and, and the, um, oh, the, the various things that you, that you kind of went through to get to, to playing again and playing well again. Sure. I, not that I ever looked forward to talking about my injuries in the press, but perhaps it might be helpful to others. If, sure. you know. So I'm a pretty healthy guy. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. when I was uh, back, back in the eighties, I, I suffered from some neck problems of spine. You know, I had a surgery on my neck. Sure. And then my lower back, this kind of stuff. But it was all very successful, and I've been doing great. I think what happened was I was uh, working out, and I wasn't paying attention, and I was doing chest flies, you know? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. It started to compromise the, for like a year and a half, you know? I'm just like thinking, oh, I'll just work through this pain. So there's <laughs> the message, folks. Don't try to work through the wrong kind of pain because right. <laughs> it doesn't work. And uh, so it just started to get to the point where it was, uh, yeah, I had to go to the doctor and then there's various procedures you can do. One of them is physical therapy, tried that, didn't work. One of them is stem cell injections and I, the, the shoulder was too far gone because there was three uh, tendons that were torn. So sure. at the same time, uh, I had developed trigger finger in my thumb and this is an odd kind of a, a condition where the... Um, uh, the, the, you've got a, you know, a, a canal basically that the, uh, I'm not sure of all the technical right. <laughs> but the cables run through okay. and you get, they can get frayed and then your finger starts triggering. But the surgery was very simple. They go in and they just make a little cut and then boom, all done. Sure. And the, the trigger finger, it was weird because it actually triggers. It goes clink, clink. Oh, clink. Wow. And then uh, once it was fixed, it was like fixed. And, and, I would have let it go, but I, it froze and I couldn't play. So I had these, luckily, um, it was locked down. So 
Yeah. No worries. I went in, I got the shoulder and the finger right about the same time. And as I was uh, healing, I was wearing this sling that's called a knapsack because the doctor that created it was named Dr. Knapp. Okay. <laughs> so I made the knapsack. And uh, I only had one hand, you know, obviously. Sure. And I started playing a new guitar that came in and I thought, hey, I'm going to write a song here with one hand. So that actually, I'm, I made it a productive situation and uh my shoulder healed and then i tore another tendon <laughs> jeez <laughs> kind of that was with the pizza oven but anyway don't <laughs> worry steve Vai is uh, doing very well and sure. i'm looking forward to getting out there and kicking ass you know absolutely you know real quick um i don't i don't know that people would understand really how important not important but how how difficult it can be to play with your shoulder being being you know injured i i a contemporary of yours um john levin i don't know if you know john or not he plays with dockin he's dockin's guitar player and yeah, he yeah. he had the same sort of a thing of like eight ten years ago where he had some surgery on his shoulder because mm -hmm. he had from playing just the weight of the guitar and the playing kind of wore on his shoulder mm -hmm. and he was he was hurt for probably 18 19 months and he was still trying to play gigs and he was just dying at the end of gigs you know and, and but yet here you are you you go and have surgery you have this problem when what do you do instead of playing a lighter guitar you come back with this monstrosity called the hydra which has to be if i don't i don't know anything about this i'll, I'll be honest steve i'm not even i can pick and noodle very very little on a guitar but I can look at that Hydra and tell it's very heavy. You know, is it, is it <laughs> you could be correct? Yeah. I mean, talk a little bit about this thing, man. It's, oh, it's an improbable, improbable instrument, man. It's crazy. You know, I'm such a uh, sucker for theater, you know, mm -hmm. I love uh, trying to put on the best show I can. And as a result, my mind kind of like, uh, I have to, you, you got to invest in some production. Sure. And, uh, you know, I can't really invest in the kind of production that some big bands invest in because we just we travel simply. Sure. But I can make all sorts of weird guitars. OK. And those are entertaining, but they're not valid unless I can play a piece of music on them. So about five years ago, I was watching. Uh, um, oh, what's it? What's with Mel Gibson? Those movies Brave he does. Braveheart or, or Lethal Weapon or? Oh, the ones in the desert. Come on. Not, not sure. <laughs> I'll think of it in a minute. But anyway, they're in the desert. Mad Max, Mad Max. Mad Max, okay, okay. yeah. Okay. How could we forget that? Yeah. So Mad Max, there's this one scene where they, they're going through the desert and there's this guy on the front of this truck and he's got a guitar and he's flailing about. And okay. I saw that and I said, that's pretty cool, but I could do something cooler than that, you know? And <laughs> And I and right at that moment the idea came and and it wasn't for the way the Hydra looked because I didn't know at the time I just knew right then I wanted to design a really far out steampunk style guitar that had a twelve string neck that had fretless half of it and then a seven string neck and then a bass neck with E and A string fretless and thirteen harp strings that you can strum and there's all sorts of uh, so so I I, I I took that idea and I took the uh, some clippings and stuff of some steampunk fashion. And I sent it to Ibanez and they did a rendering of okay. the Hydra. And when I saw the rendering, I just couldn't believe it. I was like, you guys are going to build that? <laughs> and 
And it's like, yes, we are. And we went back and forth for a little while, done some points, but then uh, I got the guitar about a year and a half ago and I was stunned. And when I saw it, they had really, the, the, the engineers over at Hoshino, Ibanez, really kind of broke, broke their own molds. You know okay. what I mean? Just the, the, like through all convention, all risk, all, you know, out the window and just employed pure passion and made this instrument. It's much greater than I even imagined because it's got all of these features as a whole synthesizer. Besides all the thing I mentioned, mm-hmm. it's got a synthesizer guitar section. It's got piezos. It's got sustainers. It's got sample and hold features. It's really quite a technical marvel. So I knew I had to record a piece of music with it that could stand on its own as a piece of music. And sure. I envisioned myself playing this thing with all my arms, you know, like I could see in my head uh, just h- how it could work, you mm-hmm. know, by, by uh, playing all of the necks and creating a piece of music with it. So um, I, got, I, I was standing in the studio for about a year and a half. I had it on a stand and I just walked past it every now and then and get chills, you know, right. I'd be like, ah, there it is. What am I going to do? Ah. <laughs> so <laughs> one day I carved out six weeks and sat down behind the Hydra and I just started motoring, you know, mm-hmm. and when you listen to the track teeth of the Hydra, which is the first song on sure. in violet, uh, all the bass that you hear and the seven string guitar and the 12 string guitar and the harp strings, it's all performed on the Hydra in one performance. And it's kind of like juggling chainsaws, you know what I mean? Cause you miss one thing and sure you're derailed. But I will tell you this, uh, my tech, my brilliant tech, Thomas Nordig, uh, uh, figured out this way with a waist strap that the Hydra hangs on. So all the all the weight is on your waist. Okay. Not on, not on your shoulders at all. But it's so heavy. You, when you take a step in one direction, it it thinks that you're going that way. So it helps you out. <laughs> nice. I mean, it goes, you want to go that way? All right, here we go. <laughs> so, given Given that this the hydra do you now look at like rick nielsen and go my god how does he play this 10 10 neck guitar now <laughs> well he's another creative you know yeah. and and i love what he does with all these uh imaginary you know the the guitars that he has built uh i don't know if he plays all of them right in a song uh that that might be the difference sure do you do you think that you're going to be able to play um, play the Hydra track live? Well, you know, I'm experimenting with that. Uh, I'm just starting now. The first thing I want to do is try to make a video. Okay. Uh, because you you have to see it to you can hear the track and go, oh, I like that track or I don't like that track, but you have to see it because it's it's unbelievable unless you see it. So I think. You know, I mean, I see people wielding three neck guitars online, you know, these little Mm -hmm. acoustic guitars and stuff. And it's fantastic, you know, but this is very aggressive. So I've got it on a stand right now. Sure. The way I used it when I was recording and I'm getting I'm trying to get because it was a while ago that I recorded it. Now I got to get it all under my arms uh in uh, so i could play it all the way through because when right. i recorded it i did it in sections sure well, it was too much to play all the way through and um 
then I'm going to see if I can hold the guitar and actually at least look like I'm playing the part for a video. Okay. Maybe I will be able to because once it, on a stand I can do it, but once it's hanging on your body, all, all the relationships between your the strings and your hands it changes. So it's, there's going to be an adjustment. And plus, if you're shooting a video, it's not you. It's usually not that accurate when, right. when you're actually playing. You know, you're cheating. So uh, I have to, but I have to be able to play it perfectly in order to even cheat it. And then I'm going to grab bring it into rehearsals. And see if we have time to work it in the first leg of the tour. Okay. And if and if I can, I might have to use a stand for the first leg. Or maybe I'll just get out there and kill it right off the bat. I don't know yet. Yeah. Sure. Well, um, Steve, with Inviolet, the one song that really jumped out to me from from giving it a listen was what I, I'll say is a surprising track from you, which is Greenish Blues. And not necessarily because you've never touched blues style before, because you have, but you've never, this is like the first time I can remember. And, and I'll be honest, I don't know that I've heard every piece of music you've ever done, but this is the first time I can remember that you really took traditional blues and made a complete song out of it. Uh, was, that, was that a purpose move or was it just what you felt at the time when you were putting it together? It just seems like an odd choice for you, I guess. Well, Chris, I think you're correct. I don't recall ever recording anything so bluesy, but it's odd to me that people uh, are pointing it out as, as being uncharacteristic of me because there, there's, it's so me, the, what I'm playing. So I'll give you a little background on that. Okay. Uh, when I was when I was young, I wasn't so much a, a I liked the blues, but I I, I didn't want to play like traditional blues. Sure, I had a version to anything that was traditional, you know. So through life, I've come to appreciate great blues, but I've never spent any focused time on being an authentic type of a blues player. Uh, but everything I do is based on the blues, really. Uh, like, for instance, the first scale I ever learned was a blues scale, and everything was derived from that for me, even to this day. So what we do when we're on tour, we have this great policy where uh, when I come to the stage for sound check, the band is already sound checked, and my guitar is handed to me, and it's hot, and it's ready to go, and I don't know what I'm going to play. The band doesn't know. And I just start playing and we record it all. Okay. And we do this every, every show. So like the last show we did like, I don't know, 250 shows. So I've got all of these sound check recordings and I, I come home after the tour and I, I go through them and some of them are real crap, you know, <laughs> but some of them are, have some really great moments and greenish blues was right there just as it is. I re-recorded it, but the virtually I'd say 80% of the solo was what I jammed live wow. in the sound check. So that kind of blues playing is very, very natural to me. I think that when you apply it to the, in the context of traditional blues type changes, uh-huh. then it, then it turns into what is he doing? Sure. <laughs> he doesn't do that. But yeah, I mean, it, it, to hear any kind of traditional blues from me, you would have to hold your breath for a long time. Right. <laughs> Certainly. 
Well, well, Steve, um, obviously probably the biggest news in guitar world the last year and a half or so is the, the passing of Eddie Van Halen and had an effect on, I think, probably everybody that holds a guitar right now on, he did on, in some way, shape or form. I have to imagine for you, maybe even a little more because you were the guy that sort of replaced him when Dave, David brought you into, to his solo band. You know, a lot of people were like, this is the Eddie Van Halen replacement, which was you. And for whether that's right or not, it's just what the perception was. Yeah. So for you, how did his passing affect you? And um, what was it that, about Eddie's playing, if anything, that, that was so special to you as a contemporary that played, you know, learned to play his music professionally for, mm. for professional consumption? Well, Chris, you know, I'm not unlike the average Edward fan in that he really had an effect, you know, when you, for Edward fans that uh, really were touched by him, it's, it's inexplicable, obviously, you can't, you can try to use words, but it doesn't really work. It's like that with many things. So to, uh, I have a different position in that, yeah, one might say that I replaced the guitar behind the voice, you know, Mm -hmm. But uh, that's just like academics to me. Okay. When it comes to when it comes to uh, the way I felt about Edward uh, and the morning of of his loss, I'm a fan like everybody else, you know, sure. and I I feel the, the way they do. But I know also like many people, everything in this world is coming and going and coming and going and coming and going. Sure. Right. And if it doesn't go, it only means you went before it. So, and we just don't know when. Right. <laughs> you know? So uh, th- th- that's uh, uh, something that helps me to get through laws because it's just, it's going to happen. Sure. So, uh, but it was a, a beautiful, beautiful, amazing ride that he had. And he just delivered so much. And, you know, he, he had a great run. It's not like he died at 27. Sure. And, and we don't want to see anybody like that. You know, we want to squeeze every note out of them, you know. <laughs> but um, for me, it was a, like a, a, a complete honor to be able to play those parts. I mean, if you're a guitar player and you're a fan of that band, you know that those are some of the coolest guitar parts written in rock and roll because they're like perfect little arrangements, you know, like they fall so well on, mm-hmm. on your hands. They'll never sound like Edward, but right. they're great songs to play on the guitar because they're complete and you become a better player when, especially like a position that I was in where I was playing his parts to his fans. You know what I mean? Sure. So I, I had to pay deep respect to those parts. And in so doing, I, I discovered a really great ride there because you have to focus. You got to, you got to, it has to improve your playing. So I was really lucky in all that. Sure. And and, you know, the interesting thing is of all the people and, and you know, this every, every person that plays rock or metal guitar right now learns eruption or, you know, ain't talking about love, whatever they, you know, every single karaoke bar, every single band, does a Van Halen cover here and there, you're probably the only guy on the planet that's ever been judged on how you play that stuff. You know, like really, truly judged. Well, the, the, 
based on the eyes of the judger, I guess, but uh, I've never played Eruption. Oh, really? <laughs> no, I transcribed it uh, when I was, uh, I w- before, you know, when I was working with Frank and then after Frank, I was transcribing to make a couple of bucks here and there. And uh, I was hired by one of the magazines to transcribe it, but I still didn't play it. I just listened to it and wrote it down. Okay. And, uh, but um, what, what, what was your comment again? Uh, I, I was just going to say, you're the only person that was ever judged. Oh, judged. Well, I think that uh, for me, what happened, I, I didn't judge myself. And that was the most important thing because if I was judging myself, I would be putting myself against Edward Van Halen. And that's doesn't make any sense to me, sure. you know, because I had my own voice just like every other guitar player. And to try to change that, to mimic a genius like him, uh, just uh, didn't seem to make sense. So I threw all that away and just gave it everything I had mm-hmm. and, and clobbered it. You know, I mean, I, I delivered the best I could. And I believe from my perspective, I don't even think the fans were, were making a big judgment because Edward is Edward. You can't, you, how can you possibly compare him to somebody? You know, it's unless that person is trying to sound like him. Sure. Now people will say, I mean, I've, I've heard tons and tons of uh, people going back and forth about the two of us, Sure, which Mm -hmm. is kind of, kind of fun to listen to but sure. uh i don't i think i was really fortunate because i felt uh, by at least the majority of the people that i was being accepted absolutely yeah you know? no i i saw the tour I, I, mean, I, I know i saw eat them and smile the tour and um you know you guys in cinderella and i and i and it was amazing it was great it was the continuation of van halen in some respect you know, so it, it, it was it was a great tour, and, and you played phenomenally, as you always do. Thank you. Thank you. Sure. I did my best. I, doing that record was an education for me in tone also. Sure. Because I knew that people were going to obviously be listening mm-hmm. to that tone. And I before that, I, I spent precious little time on tone, and, and Edward was all about tone. And right. And playing and technique, you know. So I, I didn't have any problem at all with the technique side because I knew that I would just be doing my thing. But the tone, it was really helpful for me to uh, go through that because I, I had to get my tone together. Sure. Well, you certainly did then. You certainly have now the brand new release in Violet. It is out January the 28th. And um, Steve, uh, where should we send people to uh, keep up with you and get tour dates and get the record and all that stuff? Oh, you can go to Instagram, my Instagram account, or I don't know what uh, what's going on with websites these days, but we have a great <laughs> we have a great website. It's got everything there if you're interested. And Facebook, you know, we got the socials that post all the all things the that are going on. Yeah. All right, excellent. Well, one more time, the name of the record is Inviolate. It is Steve Vi. It's out January 28th. And uh, Steve, thanks once again for joining me here on CMS Music. Thanks so much, Chris. You're doing great, brother. Thanks for checking out this episode of The Classic Metal Show. Get all of our episodes uncensored at www.theclassicmetalshow.com. Join us weekly from 9 p.m. till 3 a.m. Eastern at www.cmsradio.net. Participate in the live chat room at www.chatandkill.com. 
Once again, thank you for checking out the Classic Metal Show with Neely and Chris. Hail and kill. Fuck you, pal. And <laughs>